2 Corinthians 3.3 says that uh, Christ has written his, uh, more or less his grace. He, he, he has written on our life, or our lives are a letter written from Christ. So Christ is communicating with those people around you through the grace that he's put in you. So every time that you're encouraged or you do something, you, you're able to overcome something that you couldn't overcome on your own. You forgive somebody you didn't have the ability to forgive. You, you find Christ and grace and strength and hope. That is the grace of God, and that is his letter written on you. That is his word, his grace written on you. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, the Tackets if you guys would go ahead and join me here. And as they're coming, I want to remind you next week, we have one more story of grace that I would love for you to be here uh, to share with us to, to end this series. Uh, it'll be an incredible time. You did see on the video announcements when we came in today uh, that we are right in the middle of live streams. Uh, this Sunday is 201. Next Sunday is 301 and then 401. We had a fantastic group of folks who joined us for live streams, 24 people are going through live streams today. What that is, is that is a how do I take my next steps at Kingwood a, a series of classes. So we've basically done this. We've narrowed down what are the four most important things that every Christian needs to know and needs to know how to do. And we teach those four things in that series and show you how we do them at Kingwood so you can be involved. So that series will start for the final time in 2016. We're already in the middle. But next month, we'll run our last series of that for this year. If you haven't signed up yet, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, you can, if you've never been through live streams, I want to encourage you to do that. You go to kingwoodchurch.com, hit the grow button, and that'll take you to the form that you can sign up. So this morning, you guys, you ready? As far as you know? Okay. Let, let's see. Let's make sure. That's it. You're running. All right, let's see how you're doing over here. We're making sure we got our mics on. Let's see. We're not technical. You're great. You're, you're right on. Okay. How's that? How's what? Oh, you're, you're on. There you go. That's what I was hoping. Okay. And, and you're on, right? I think so. Okay. Well, good morning, and thank you guys for being, um, for being open and willing to share your story. I've heard their story. Their story's fantastic. This is Haney and Sarah Tackett, and uh, they have um, an incredible testimony of how God touched their life. So, you, you guys okay? You good? I think so. He is. Everybody's good? Okay. So, uh, Haney's going to start, and you're going to see in the middle of their stories how their stories intersect, how they tell their own perspective of the same event. And you can see what God was doing in them individually. So, hey, why don't you go ahead and start? Sure. Uh, everyone has an attitude. And the attitude I come with is I was a beggar. And I found bread. And I'm just here to tell you where I found it. And you do with it what you want to Kind of like walking through Walmart, and if you see something up there on the shelf you like, we'll take it down. But if you see something up there you don't like, we'll just leave it there. Uh, 
I was a biologist all of my adult life. I'm retired now. And um, I was gone from home a lot in my work. I got to work in, on the water and in the woods. I was just in, in heaven. That's what I always wanted to do. Um, One day when I came home from work, um, I felt like I had a life I didn't want anymore. I had been struggling trying to change myself. Before I came home that day, I had uh, drank my lunch in the parking deck. And um, I didn't, I normally never did anything like that. I never drank at work or, or at home, but that day I did. And by the time I got home, I, uh, I sat at the dinner table with our children on either side of me and I laid my head down and went to sleep. My wife was in the kitchen and uh, things were just a little too quiet in there so she looked around the corner to see what was happening and uh, there I was. Well, she came out and uh, whispered in my ear how unhappy she was with me that I'd come home like that. And um, I didn't say anything. Like I said before, I'd been trying to change myself, and uh, God wants us to do that. <laughs> He wants us to find out that we can't because there's something wrong with us that only he can fix. But anyway, I'd been trying to change myself. I, I didn't say anything to her. I just got up and walked in back of the house and got a pistol out and went out in the backyard and cocked it and put it up to my head. I thought I'd never do anything like that, but there I was. I sat there for what seemed like a long time, probably wasn't. But while I was sitting there, I began to hear a little song playing through my head that I learned as a child. I bet. Uh, most of y'all know that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And that caused me to stop and think for a moment. <laughs> 
I thought about my wife. Uh, we were hundreds of miles from home. My wife uh, didn't know how to make a living. She was a stay-at-home mom, you know. We had two children, very young children. And there was my mama. She was at, at home in Arkansas. and um, She was a widow by now. And so I just couldn't leave them. <laughs> so I thought to myself, well, not yet. So I got up and walked into the house. But later on that night, my wife, I, I know she was frantic. <laughs> she said, uh, Haney, uh, they're having a Bible study down at the church. And she said, uh, won't hardly anybody be there. And... Uh, <laughs> You won't have to say anything or do anything, but she said, I sure would like for you to go with me. You know, I, I love my wife then. I love her now. We've been married uh, 60 years in May. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, life is one decision after the other one, and uh, I made a good one. I said, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. We went to church there every Sunday, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't see how it could make a lot of difference, but uh, I said, yeah, I'll go with you. <laughs> so uh, Sunday rolled around, and my wife and I walked down to this little church about a block and a half or two blocks from our home, and uh, it was dark by then. All the lights were off upstairs, and uh, there was a light on in the basement, and so we walked down in the basement, and there were six uh, older ladies in a classroom down there. And um, we walked in and took a seat. Our teacher came in. His name was Joe Green. He was a businessman. He wasn't a preacher. He started uh, our church that we were in and one other one in the Birmingham area. He helped to start uh, a church camp up near Aniano. Uh, he was serving the Lord. When he was 82 years old, I helped to uh, bury him. He was such a good person. But anyway, he was holding a stack of books, little books. They weren't very thick, about like that, large letters. Looked like it wasn't threatening at all. He said, uh, <laughs> we are going to learn about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in the life of a Christian. Well, to me, the Holy Spirit was what I'd call a shadow person. He was someone that I'd heard about in church, but I really, I really didn't know who he was. And uh, he said, the idea is this. Uh, I'm going to give each one of you a book, and you take the book home and read chapter 1 and uh, come in on Sunday a week from tonight and uh, bring your Bibles and we'll start our study. 
Well, he started to hand the books out, and he said, wait a minute, he said, I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, I want to make sure everyone in here is really a Christian. And so he said, I think we should try a little experiment. And the experiment was this. He said, when you go home tonight and every night this week, I want you to just lay there with your eyes closed and I want you to try three things. He said, first, I want you to lay there and try to imagine what Jesus looked like when he took your sins upon himself willingly. <laughs> he said, you won't be able to see what he looked like, <laughs> but I just want you to try it. I never thought about doing anything like that. And I was a church rat. I grew up in church. And he said, after you've tried that, he said, you won't be able to see what he looked like, but I just want you to try it. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to just lay there and try to understand how you're believing something like that can possibly change your life the way it is right now. He said, you won't be able to figure it out. <laughs> but I just want you to try it. And again, I never thought about doing something like that. And he said, the last thing I want you to do is, if you can believe that without any evidence of it, that's what you call faith. <laughs> he said, I want you to say to God, either out loud or to yourself, thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ into this world to save me a sinner. And then you just go on to sleep. But he said, I want you to do that every night this week. And if... If you have, when you come in on Sunday, a week from tonight, I'm going to give each one of you a book, and we're going to start our study. Well, I would lay there beside my wife at night, and um, you, you, won't, you wouldn't understand this unless you've done it, but I was so miserable. I screamed just as hard as I could scream in my head, laying there beside my wife at night to uh, stop what was happening to me because um, I didn't want to live anymore. Well, uh, Sunday came around and my wife and I walked to this little church again and uh, down in the basement, our teacher was there and he said, how many of you all uh, tried that little experiment? And we all... All eight of us held our hands up, and he said, well, the Bible says uh, you're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, as children, you're heirs of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so he began to hand the Bible, uh, the uh, uh, of the books out. And as he did, he began to quote Jesus Christ when Jesus was with his 12. He was going to be crucified the next morning. 
So what he had to say was what was on his heart. He was promising them something. He said, ask. Uh, it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. He said, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. For everyone that asks, receives. And to him that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, the door shall be open. For which of you having children, if a child asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him that asks him? And he just looked around this little room, and he said, if there's anybody in this room struggling, trying to live a, a good life, a happy life, but no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. He said, the reason is the Holy Spirit is not inside you yet. He said, if that's you, you do what Jesus said. You start asking you start seeking, you start knocking. And he said, you don't quit. He said, the Holy Spirit is so real. When he comes, you'll know it. You won't have to ask anybody. He said, when he comes, you will know it and all your questions will be answered. I never went back to that Bible study. <laughs> Like I say, I was, a, I was a biologist. I worked for a southern company, and I did water quality surveys around power plants. And um, um, God is always pursuing us. He's always after us. And I'm going to tell you just one little example of that. I hope I haven't skipped anything. But um, I had gone to a seminar in Augusta, Georgia. And I had um, been there for about a week. I didn't go to any meetings. We were in a hotel there in the middle of town. I was up about two floors. And... Um, the last night I was there, um, <clears throat> I didn't go to any meetings because I stayed in my room mostly and watched TV and drank beer, <laughs> and I got paid for it. <laughs> so the last night I was there, though, I was sitting on the edge of my bed after midnight, of course, and uh, I heard a commotion in the street. So I got off the bed and walked over and looked out the window, and there were three soldiers on the way to, uh, to the Army base, and uh, they were all drunk. And one of them was so drunk he couldn't walk anymore. 
He was crawling along in the gutter, and the other two had a beer can, and they were kicking it back and forth across the street to each other. And they were laughing at their friend because uh, he couldn't walk. Any other time, I would have raised the window and laughed at them. But that night, while I was looking at them, uh, a God thing happened. I had this thought. Uh, Satan is real. <laughs> and he's trying to kill those three soldiers down there. And he's trying to kill you. Um, I did what any good drunk would do. <laughs> I threw myself down on the floor. And I uh, cried out to God. I said... I yelled out, I'm sorry for what I am, but I can't change myself. Woke up the next morning, <laughs> right where I hit the floor, looked bad, smelled worse probably. Got dressed and caught a plane home here to uh, Birmingham. But while the plane was still in the air, I got a magazine out of the seat in front of me and I began to write one thing all over the cover, front and back. God, please love me. Uh, I didn't think he could ever love me because he knew everything about me. <laughs> he, knew, he knew it all. Well, when I got through, I put the magazine back. I should have kept it. It'd be framed in my living room today. But uh, when I got home, uh, the good things I, I wanted to do, I didn't do them. And the evil things I'd swore to God I'd never do again, I did. And my life just rocked right on along. The scripture says about the Holy Spirit that he's like the wind. You don't know where he comes from and you don't know where he goes. But so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I didn't know any Bible. I believed every word of it, but I never read it. <laughs> True. But one day I went to work just like any other day um, caught the elevator up to the eighth floor and wound up in a little room. It's my office space. It was like 12 by 18. And I was sitting there in a chair looking out at uh, Brookwood Mall in the hospital uh, smoking a Marlboro cigarette. <laughs> he's, he's not with us today. <laughs> But anyway, um, I was drinking a cup of coffee and uh, trying to get my mind on my work. I'd woke up that morning happy for no good reason. I was just happy. And um, um, I had sitting in front of me a sheet of paper about this square. I got paid for catching fish. I studied fish around a power plant in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Anybody here ever been to Pascagoula? <laughs> a 
don't breathe the air, <laughs> don't drink the water. <laughs> Other than that, it's a great place. <laughs> so anyway, I had caught all these fish, and I had the information on this. I gave the information to a secretary, and she typed it on a typewriter. Kids today think typewriter's a new invention, right? <laughs> But anyway, I had this sheet of paper sitting on my desk, and I was supposed to edit the thing for mistakes. There was spelling and numbers. Um, so anyway, um, I couldn't get my mind on it. It was like being a little bit um, giddy or something, uh, tipsy or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I couldn't get my mind on anything, so I gave up on that, put my cigarette down, and... Um, just leaned forward on my desk uh, like that, and uh, I put my head in my hands trying to get my head clear so I could think. But while I sat there, um, a presence came into my room and uh, settled on the top of my head. It felt like uh, someone was uh, pouring uh, a liquid of some sort on my head that had uh, electricity in it. <laughs> and I said out loud, <laughs> I said, something religious is happening to me. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> It didn't stop what was happening, though, because it gradually, it gradually began to come down my head. I felt like I could draw a line wherever it was, but it just gradually began to come down my head, and it entered my neck. And the instant it entered my chest, this thing left me, just like that. And... Uh, I yelled out, I'm, I'm saved. <laughs> but the thing, that, the thing that left me was, all I can say was, it was uh, something that was heavy, it was something that was alive, and it was something that was destroying me. And it had left my body. Yeah. Well, but uh, it didn't stop what was going on. It just came on down into my chest, and then it began to flow out my arms gradually to the tips of my fingers. And then it began to work its way down to the soles of my feet. And when it reached the soles of my feet, uh, I, said, I said out loud, I said, uh, it's true. It's all true. Everything my mama had ever told me about God was true. <clears throat> Whatever was in that Bible I'd never read was true. <laughs> but you know uh, what was true, boy? Number one was God loved me and that he had always loved me. I'd, what a revelation that was. And that I was a forgiven, I was a forgiven man. I, you know, I'd had the education part of it a little bit, but I, what I was experiencing was a revelation that what I had heard and read was really true, and that was the revelation. 
uh, that Jesus had really come out of the grave. My mother took me to many Easter sunrise services. Those times were not wasted on me. I'd always believed he came out of the grave, but I didn't know it. Now, that morning I knew it, and I knew that somehow or another he had come to live inside of me. I mean, people just get up and walk out. They say, that, that's, that's not possible. So, so anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, there was some other things that I knew was absolutely true. But uh, uh, I got up and started walking around this little 12 by 18 room which was a miracle because uh, there were three desks in there, three file cabinets, three trash cans, and I was walking in circles around it. See, I'd make a, I had made a tremendous discovery. <laughs> I had read an account about a man over in Atlanta who was uh, sent to prison for killing 29 children. What does that earth does that have to do with me? <laughs> Well, I had read an account about this man. His name was James Williams. And uh, what did that have to do with me? Well, I read this account in the paper that said an evil compulsion, an evil desire would come over this man and he would have to go out and kill again. What does that have to do with me? Well, I had discovered that there was a power on this earth to do good. that was stronger than any evil desire I had ever had in my life. And it somehow or another, it was in there. So I walked out of there uh, like Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was three of my engineer friends sitting out there eating their lunch by then. And uh, I broadsided them. <laughs> I, was I was trying to tell them about who Jesus was. I wasn't trying to tell him about what had happened to me. I was just trying to tell him about who Jesus was. I didn't realize that that was all there in the Bible. I didn't know any of that. But I left there, and I'm going to stop there, because uh, life became an adventure. <laughs> and uh, the good things I wanted to do, I did. And the evil things that I'd swore to God I'd never do again, I didn't. Oh, God is, God is so good. Amen. God really saves people. Amen. He really does. I didn't have that experience. I grew up in a home we lived with my grandparents when I was growing up because my father was a chronic alcoholic. And we lived with a lot of ups and downs, and sometimes it was really chaotic. And so it had a great effect on me, you know. I knew that I loved my father, but I also knew that I couldn't trust him. I couldn't depend on him. My grandfather was a bookkeeper in a horse and mule auction barn in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And I always went to work with him as often as I could because I loved all those animals. I learned how to ride before I could walk. 
and any animal I could catch in that barn, I rode. I rode horses, mules, cows, pigs, goats. I rode everything but chickens, and you cannot ride a chicken because they'll sit down on you every time you try. <laughs> My brother ran away from home when he was 14 years old, and he never really returned. He was married seven times before he was 42. My brother was always searching for love. My mother was always seeking God. She had to have God, more of God in her life. So as a result of that, I grew up in churches and revival meetings, and it had a tremendous effect on me. Mother and I were very close. I gave my first profession of faith in Jesus Christ when I was nine years old. They weren't just words to me because I needed him too. And prayer was very large in my life because so many things happened. When uh, I was in the seventh grade, just beginning, my parents separated. Mother moved to Texarkana, Arkansas, and I was sent to Fort Worth, Texas to live with my aunt and uncle through that school year. It was a traumatic experience because I had lost the only family I had known, and I went to live with an aunt and uncle I didn't know very well, but they were kind, and we got through that year okay. When I came back to my mother, she was attending the Assembly of God Church, and I went with her a few times, but it was very foreign to me. I'd never been in a church like that. I mean, people were clapping their hands and raising their hands and shouting, and some of them were dancing around, and I didn't care for that. <laughs> so I decided I would join the Baptist church. Mother didn't care where I went as long as I went to church. And you know, it was at that point in my life I realized later that I put church and God in this neat little box that I had tied up and it was a box that I developed and I liked. I thought it was a proper box. And I carried that box with me for a long, long time. Now, I met Haney Tackett when we were, I was just starting in high school and he was a senior. I thought he was about the cutest thing I ever saw. <laughs> it took me a while to get him to give, you know, ask me for a date. He said I was just a, a born, what is it? Predator. Predator. <laughs> we, we, finally, we finally started dating, and uh, I dated him for a whole year before I knew he stuttered. I don't know. We just didn't talk much, but he was a great kisser. <laughs> We were going to get married after that first year, but I decided I didn't want to get married. I wanted to be a cheerleader. So we married three years later. We eloped to Mississippi, Greenville. And uh, after we were married, I prayed and asked God to bless our marriage, to guide us and protect us along our way. And it was a simple prayer, but God answered it. We moved to Richmond, Virginia. Both of our daughters were born there after he graduated from school. And uh, we went to a little church not too far from us, and it fit in my box just fine. I met a couple, though. We were having them over for dinner, and they were atheists. I had never encountered atheists before. They made fun 
of Jesus. They made fun of religion. And they looked at me and said, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Well, I had, I had grown up believing it, you know, but it caused me to ponder it. I told them, uh, sure I did. They said, well, you only believe it because that's the way you've been taught. So I worked on that for several days in my mind, praying and thinking about it. And I came to the conclusion that indeed I believed it. I believed that God was my creator and he was my heavenly father. I believed that Jesus Christ was his son who had come down to this earth to die on a cross for my sins and for my salvation. And I believed that God sent the Holy Spirit as a helper and a teacher and that he was in my life. Now, um, Haney got to noticing after a, we'd been in Virginia for quite a while, he got to noticing that our daughters were talking funny. And uh, they would say ka instead of car, hoose instead of house. Uh, they'd say oot for out and spigot for faucet, things like that. Anyway, it, it bothered him. I didn't realize how much until one day he said, Sarah Jane, we're moving back to the south. I don't want my daughters to marry Yankees. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen and Lori, but that's the way it was. So the next thing I knew, I found myself in Birmingham, Alabama. And we joined a little church down the street, and it fit just fine in my box. I taught fifth grade Sunday school in that church about nine years. And uh, everything just went along fine. I was perfectly happy. I worked in the women's group. And, and I got into storytelling, you know. But um, Haney's bosses began to ask him to give speeches about his work. They liked what he was doing, and they wanted him to go to all the different companies and talk to them. And that was difficult for him. So we decided that we would just see if he could get hypnotized, and maybe that would help him. Well, I didn't know anything about hypnosis, so I, I prayed over it. And I went to the Homewood Library, and I had picked out five books on the subject when I got up front to check them out, this little lady was sitting there looking at me, and very quietly she said, God doesn't want you to read those books. And I said, what? And she said it again. Well, I figured that was God answering my prayer, so I just dumped those books in the book return and thanked her and left. <laughs> Haney went to the doctor and got tranquilizers, and that helped him. <laughs> but you know, Having grown up in an alcoholic family, he always said I could smell whiskey a mile away, and I could, especially if it was old. He had never drank around me. He knew how I felt about it. I really hated it. I mean, I would have made Clara Nation, or what's her name? I would have made her happy because I really would like to have taken an ax to any place that had it. But I began to notice that smell on him when he'd come in from trips and we'd have words over it. And the day came that he came home, and I knew that he was about half drunk. And uh, he tells it one way, and I tell it another, because we were seated at the table, and he just fell over. He just fell over on his plate. And when he did, I jumped to my feet and started shouting at him. And he just looked at me and then walked out of the room. When he came back in, he had a gun in his hand. And he said, well, I'm just going to kill myself. And he walked outside, and I followed him. I saw him put that gun to his head. I was praying. And God answered it. 
and my husband Luke. Now, I went to work for the Homewood Library. I had started a children's story hour there. And when he walked in one day with a Bible and set it on the counter, I kind of had an uneasy feeling. And uh, he looked at me and said, Sarah Jane, I've been saved. Well, I said, that's good. He said, well, come on, I want to tell you about it. Let's go to the park. And so I got off and went over to the park. He started telling me all these things. Now, I should have been happy, but I wasn't happy at all over that. You see, my mother was filled with the Holy Spirit, and my mother and I grew apart because of it. We just grew apart. She went her way, I went my way. We didn't have, we loved each other, but we didn't have anything in common anymore because I was living in that church box. And when he told me all of that, all I could think of was that he was going to leave me. We, were gonna, we weren't going to make it together. Well, it didn't turn out that way because one day I was praying about it. I, I wanted him saved. I just didn't want him saved like that. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life with Billy Graham. But I was, I was praying one morning and I was in the bedroom and I was pounding my head on the floor and asking God why. Why did it have to be this way? And I heard audible laughter fill the room. And I looked up and I knew it was the Lord. So from that point, I decided that I would get rid of that church box and I would get rid of my rebellion and I would follow my husband wherever he led. And he led us to a spirit-filled church with the most loving people of every race and every walk of life. We were there over 20 years. I was able to let God do what he wanted to do in my life. He got rid of my sorrows and my fears. I had suffered from depression since I was a child, and he got rid of it, and he filled me with joy. He filled me with his love, and even if I'm crying, I'm happy. <laughs> but, you know, God's wonderful. I have to wonder about us. Why do we wait? Why do we think that our life is going to change and we're going to ha hate it? We're not going to hate it. God is good. He only does good things. You know, uh, in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. And if we'll just let him, he will direct us to joy. You know, in that church, I learned how to clap my hands. I learned how to raise them a little bit. And then, and then after I'd been there a while, I raised them a little higher. And then I raised them high and I began to say, Hallelujah, praise God. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And instead of, instead of separating us, we grew so close. We've had such a wonderful marriage. Oh, we've been through so many things it would take hours to tell you. But you know what? I love living with Billy Graham. Would you stand with me? Hey, Nancy, here. Would you guys join us down here, please? Could I have our prayer team to come also?
What a beautiful story of God's grace. Thank you, guys. Are you, are you grateful for them to share that story with us? Thank you so much. Would you close your eyes with me, please? And uh, I just want to talk for a minute to those of you in the room who may have come to similar places that Haney and Sarah did. And, you know, maybe you're in that spot this morning where for some reason or another, your Christianity just doesn't seem to be working anymore. You haven't been able to find the ability that you need to overcome, to live in freedom. I, I just, I feel, I feel specifically prompted to say what I'm about to say. I think the Holy Spirit's talking to someone or some group of people. You've said in your mind, if I'm saved, why am I dealing with this? If I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven and God's forgiven me, why do I battle with whatever it is that you battle with? You've said that recently in your mind. It's been a strong thought. I want to pray with you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're like Haney. You just had trouble believing that God really loves you. What incredible story of God's grace today. If God loves Haney and Sarah, He loves you. And so this morning, with every eye closed, I'm going to let you go in just a minute. But what I would like to know is if you're here today and you say, I, I feel something about my own relationship with God's not working. I was the one you were talking about who said, I've said in my mind, if I'm saved, why am I dealing with this? And maybe there are some of you here that it's just time for you to invite Jesus to forgive you and to wash away all your sins. Maybe you're here today and you've kind of defined Christianity too narrow and the Holy Spirit's been working with you and saying, do you have joy? Have you been able to forgive? Do you live in peace? And if you don't, will you let me help? And so this morning, if you'd like us to pray with you when we pray, would you lift your hand and say, hey, that's me. Today, I just need prayer. I need God to help me forgive. I need God to help me live in joy. I need God to help me overcome. Yeah, yes, yes, I see your hands throughout the building. Yes, I, I need God to help me. Just lift your hand. In the balcony, yes, both, I see both your hands. We just need help today. Yes, in the middle of the balcony, I see your hand. In the side, yes. Yeah, in the middle right here in the front, the two in the middle, yes. I just need God's help today. Can I tell you the great news? You can do what Haney did. Just like he said, I'll go to that church, but I don't think anything's going to change. And boy, did everything change. So this morning, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you as I pray. Our prayer team is here, and they only want to pray with you. And when you come for prayer, I'm just going to dismiss everyone. And so you can have a few minutes here to pray with our prayer team. And I just want to encourage you. As Haney and Sarah said, why do we wait? Why do we wait? Don't wait today. Take that step. Lord, I thank you today for your grace. I thank you for the love of God that is displayed. I thank you for this letter that you've written to us on their hearts. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've shown up in their life and in this moment. 
this moment is a divine appointment for someone. And I thank you for that. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. In the balcony, in the middle, in the front, in the back. I just want you to come right now and let us pray with you. Come right now. You're not joining anything or signing up for anything. You're just letting someone pray with you. Would you come right now? In just a minute, I'll dismiss everyone. But I want you to come now. Come right now. Come right now. Come on, right now. Let today be the day. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't put off joy and forgiveness and life and grace and strength. Come right now. Come right now. Here's what I'm going to do. We're, we're getting ready for our, our next service quickly. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead in the song they're playing. And when they do, if you need to be dismissed, you can. If you want to hang behind and pray, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Thanks for being here.